Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. So you like being outdoors, like shooting a bow. Hi, my name is Roy Kentherware. I'm your host today on Arch Talk 101. And we have a guest today, uh, Ryan Jeffries, and we're going to talk to him about uh, his passion for archery in the outdoors. How you doing, uh, Ryan? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate you having me. Well, um, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody something about yourself. Okay. Um, well, I, um, you know, I, I live in Kentucky, so I, I have a, um, uh, a beautiful family, my wife and my kids, and, uh, you know, we live here in, in just outside Louisville, Kentucky, uh, born and raised here in Kentucky, lived here my whole life, and, um, you know, just really uh, passionate about archery and, and all things hunting and fishing related, so uh, look forward to sharing some of that with you guys today. Yeah, that's, that's good. We, we have a comment from Roy uh, Carruthers. He says hi to me and hi to you. Uh, so, oh, hey, Roy. Yeah. Thanks for, for uh, watching and listening. Uh, so so tell us, uh, how and why did you get started in archery? Well, that, that goes way back. So um, I, I owe that to my dad. Um, my dad was uh, very active in the local archery community uh, back in the, the 70s and the 80s. And, uh, and he and some of his friends uh, got together and started a local archery club. And, uh, and from, the, from the age of five years old, I basically grew up uh, with a bow in my hand and following my dad around through the woods and, you know, shooting, shooting outdoor um, animal targets and, and, and the like. And, and then, you know, just, just continue to grow with, with archery as I, as I grew as a, a young boy. And, um, you know, started competing uh, probably, you know, at the age of around seven years old and, um, you know, just stuck with that, you know, all the way up through my teenage years and travel, started traveling a little bit, going to some of the national tournaments. Um, actually, at the age of 11, was able to shoot the IBO Triple Crown for the first time, which was a really cool experience. <clears throat> and, um, you know, took it from, just grew with it from there. But um, I, I was uh, very active in, in, the, um, in the ASA archery scene once it came about starting in the mid to late 90s and continued to shoot and compete uh, all the way up to about 2002. Uh, and then my career and my family started to grow and uh, I had to, had to step away from archery for a while just to, to focus on those types, those aspects of my life. And, um, and then fortunately around 2016, I was able to to get back involved in archery again and uh, have, have really had tremendous opportunities since then to, um, to become, you know, to, to get to where I am today with it. And it's, and it's all because, you know, just, just, it's such an important part of my life and it's not something that I would want to want to try to, to do without if I could avoid it. Yeah. That's always interesting. Uh, I like to hear how everybody gets started in archery and when they get started and, you know, starting in the 70s and 80s, you probably started with a, a, a recurve or longboard. You actually get to start with a compound. Well, I started in, uh, so I was born in 1976. And so I started shooting in the early 80s. Um, okay. um, my, you know, my dad picked it up when, when he was, uh, you know, back in the 70s. And so that's where it all started for me. Um, but, um, you know, it was just once once I got involved with archery and then and then once I was old enough to bow hunt, that's really what kept me kept me interested in it. Even through the years from like 2002 till 2016, when I I wasn't competing in archery events, I was still bow hunting and was continuing to practice and continuing to you know um, hone my skills as an archer and as a bow hunter uh, because because that was really what my true passion was that I you know um, would would maintain even if I didn't compete. But, um, you know, when the opportunities came about for me to start competing again in 2016, uh, I had had something I had been wanting to do for several years and had just not been able to make the time for it. But uh, my work schedule and, and my career was able to support it at that point. So, you know, that's when the family and I started getting involved in archery uh, on the competitive side. Again. 
So who all besides you shoots? Well, uh, so currently, um, you know, I've got four kids. My, my oldest son is 20. He'll be 25 on Saturday. Um, and then my second oldest is 23. And then we have twins, Luke and Lexi. They're nine years old. And so both of them shoot and compete, uh, and I do as well. And my wife, who has never shot a bow uh, up until now, has, has expressed interest in getting herself a bow and wants to, to start shooting with us um, as a family. So we're really excited about that. No, that's cool, especially when your whole family can start doing some shooting. I know when I started out, um, you know, having kids, I, I had uh, a shop and my, my youngest was in Cub Scouts and he was shooting all the time. And, you know, I got all three of my kids involved in archery and, um, you know, they're not doing a whole lot right now, but, you know, like you, they have families and other things going on and don't get out as much as they'd like to, but, um, you know, it's always nice when you can, you know, get your kids involved in it. And, you know, I can remember going to, you know, many of the 3D shoots with the kids so small that they're, they're still shooting five pound bows. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the modern archery uh, equipment has come so far these days, you know, kids can, can get a bow that, that, that'll grow with them, you know? So it's, it's fantastic what, what they have available now. I, I, I'm envious of the equipment that the kids have today that I would have, I wish I could have had when I was five or 10 years old. Yeah. There, there just wasn't much out there. It's like, Okay, you buy a kid's bow without brooch, gotta buy another bow and buy another bow. And it, yeah. it's nice now that you can take that that one bow and go from, you know, they're just a kid to full-size adults shoot the same bow. Right. Yeah, you asked earlier about uh, art uh, about compound versus recurve. Um, I, I pretty much started with with a compound. Um, I did have a small uh, like fiberglass recurve that I that I played around with in the backyard. Uh, but as soon as dad was able to, to afford one, he, he got me a compound bow and, and it's pretty much been all compound ever since. Um, you know, I've continued to, to play around with some, some traditional uh, archery equipment from time to time, just for fun, go to some fun shoots and things like that. But, uh, but primarily I'm, I'm a compound bow shooter and have been, you know, from the very beginning. Yeah, that's where some of us like when I started in the 60s, there was no compounds. So right. you started off with a recurve or long bow, and then you had to, you know, eventually develop in the, you know, the 70s when compounds first come out and, you know, you kind of grow along with it. And now that it seems like every year they're, they're changing so much and getting shorter and shorter and faster and faster and harder and harder to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technology has has really uh, overcome the industry it's it's incredible what what our compound bows and in the accessories themselves what they can do these days it's really amazing yeah i remember trying to find my first real nice site i looked around all over for when it was decent because you know when i started they had a little bracket that bolted on there and each was a separate pin that you screwed in and out for the for the you know the one distance and as you tighten them down if you're not careful you can change the distance you know, for your, your left and right, as well as moving it up and down. And, and I finally found one. And now even the cheap sites are much better than what I had back then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Everything's come a long way. Yeah. And, and, you know, rest has come a long way from, you know, what they was then. And, you know, once they developed the center shot risers, then that changed the whole world on, you know, how, how you're going to put your rest on. You know, they used to be just stick on rests. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I remember all of that, uh, and I still got a lot of that old equipment laying around. You know, when you've been you've been shooting a bow for forty years, like I have, you you collect a lot of equipment and uh, you know stuff that's that's obsolete these days. But you know, there's really it's it's neat to look back and see how far it's come, and and have some of those old uh, uh, pieces of equipment to look back on and, and think about. You know how it was to use that back in the day yeah i've got a lot of the old stuff there too and then i owned an archery shop for a while and you know when i closed it i still end up with a lot of parts you mm -hmm. know i've got rests and sites that are brand new never been used or mounted you know and i just yeah. they're, they're just laying around and i need to start doing something with them because they don't do me any good and you know so you just kind of have to look around and 
start finding somebody that can use it. Right. And I've got uh, boxes and boxes of aluminum arrows, you know, <laughs> and there's just, there's just not much need for them any longer um, with, with as good as the carbon arrows are these days. Yeah, I, I remember going through the transition from, you know, wood to aluminum and then aluminum to carbon. And I don't know if you remember the first carbons that come out. There's no way I'd shoot them. No way I'd hot with them. Because what the carbon fibers went from one end straight through the shaft. So when they broke, they splintered all over. And if you broke one in your hand, you get fiberglass splinters all over you. And now the new right. ones, they're, they're so much better. They just break. They just break clean. They don't do that because they... They do carbon fibers out differently. And, you know, now pretty much a carbon arrow is straight or broke. You yeah. You don't have much else. Now, if you shoot it lots and lots of times, then it might change a little bit. But, you know, like you, I have so many arrows that I'll, I'll never use them all up. So what what all are you doing now? You you you're just doing uh, 3D shoots, hunting, and a target, or what are you doing now? So um, yeah, we during the winter months we travel and compete indoor and indoor archery tournaments. Um, we shoot five spot NFAA, uh, Vegas rounds, and um, you know this this past or this current calendar year, we're fortunate enough to go to Lancaster. Um, went to uh, what they call it the Hoosier 690, which is a, an indoor event that we had back in December up north of Indianapolis, uh, and then went to Vegas this year. So, um, you know, I really enjoy shooting the indoor archery during the winter months. I think it helps me with, um, you know, my form, helps me with confidence and learning how to shoot under pressure, uh, certainly helps with your shot execution and just the repetition of what a good shot should feel like. Um, and then you know, in February every year, we start to transition to, to outdoor 3D uh, and continue to travel and compete uh, with outdoor 3D until about August um, when uh, we wrap things up at the IBO World Championship in, in mid-August each year. So uh, travel to the ASA and the IBO uh, Triple Crown events. Um, for the last several years, I've made, I've made all of those tournaments, and that's you know, that's a pretty demanding schedule. It keeps us traveling yeah. about every other week from from February until August. And so it's um, there's not much time for other stuff when you when you hit that many events every year. Um, but it's something we love to do. And, and we made a lot of great friends uh, traveling all over the country. And, and uh, we're going to continue to do it as long as we can. And, and as long as it, it makes sense for us to keep doing it. So, um, you know, and, and you mentioned bow hunting. So our um, our archery season here in Kentucky starts in the early part of September, you know, so we can, we can archery hunt for whitetails and turkey from basically from the Labor Day weekend until, um, until the middle of January every year. So we get a really long archery season. And so you, you roll all that together and that's essentially, it's year round. We're doing something archery related. Yeah, it's, yeah. Roy mentioned in the comment the 2117s. <laughs> I remember them well. <laughs> yeah, 2117. It was a good shaft. A lot of deer taken with a 2117. Yep. I, I used to use the 2512s in my bow. Yeah, way yeah. over spine, but it shot perfectly out of it. Mm -hmm. you, you shoot it, it shot great. So hey, when I finally sold that that bow, I had it set up for it. I told the guy, he says, do not change arrows unless you're going to change your rest. Do not mess with it because it all works perfectly, you know, and, and then, you know, after a while, you're going to do something else with it, you know, see a different rest, you know, back then I remember adjusting the rest, you'd take the outside pin off, adjust the inside one, put the outside one back on, if it wasn't right, then you take it out, do it, just constantly adjusting, you know, you pull it off and put it in shape. Yeah, it's like, once you get them set, you don't mess with them. <laughs> one, one of those things that just don't mess with them, if, if it's working, don't, don't fix it. So, Roy, where are you? Where are you located? Uh, I'm in Nebraska. Okay, I'm in, in a village between Omaha and Lincoln. Okay, uh, out, out, out in the kind of boonies, almost. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, no. So, how did you hear about me? Well, um, you know, Facebook. I have a lot of friends, and you know, and all the friends that are on Facebook, you know, that are archers, you know, 
hey, I like talking to archers all over the world. And, and you know, for some reason your, your profile popped up, you know, being friends on Facebook, you're going to pop up, you know, at least once a year, <laughs> you know, when your birthday pops up. And uh, then as I'm browsing around, you know, it's like I see other people that, you know, their friends are in there. And it's like, oh, it looks like that'd be interesting to talk to. And so then I invite them on the podcast. And, um, you know, the only requirement to be on the podcast is you have to either want to shoot a bow or you're shooting a bow. <laughs> you, you, know, there's, well, I, you know, from the beginner, you know, it's, I, I call it Arch Talk 101 because, you know, I want to help beginners in there. Sure. And, you know, even beginners need help. Even advanced um, archers can use help. Sure, you know, everybody can use a little help in something, and and I just you know I put a lot of content out there, you know how to do different stuff, and you know now it's really interesting, you know, being able to talk to people all over the world. Um, I've talked to guys in Africa, Croatia, um, uh, Italy, you know, several different countries, and. In fact, the group that we have, the Arch Talk One on Facebook group, is a worldwide organization. Uh, we have archers in there from countries that I have to Google map them in order to figure out where they're at. And, and we're all in there. And, you know, it's it's all about helping other archers. And I know like you, when, you know, if you get somebody out there who has a question, you know, you're more willing to help them. Um, on my 3D rig, I put my uh, NFA archery instructor patch on the rig itself. And I'll wear it on my shirt. I'll wear it on there because if somebody wants to ask me a question, like it says, okay, I'm I'm an instructor, so I can help you. And I've helped lots of people how to shoot. You know that that's that's always nice. Um, I don't know how many people you've taught, but uh, um, you know when that light bulb goes off and and they just like, oh wow, this is it. Or the funnest ones is those that's like, oh, I never shot one. It's like, oh, no fun. I'll just try one shot, and that first shot goes off, and he's like whoa this is fun can i do it again <laughs> you know uh and they they see why we have a passion for archery because it's it's just so much fun fun doing it yeah and i think you you hit on a good point um you know it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or you're an advanced archer there's always something to learn and and i believe that's what keeps everybody so interested in it um you know i I've been shooting a bow for 40 years and I, and every time I pick my bow up and I, and I go to shoot it, whether it's in practice or in competition, I learn something new. Um, and, and I think that is such a fulfilling thing because you, you never, you might be pursuing perfection or trying to achieve perfection, but, um, you're, you may never get there. And, and it's that, uh, those small little changes that, that can happen or the small little things that you learn that, you can then start to see some improvement that keeps you coming back. It's a lot like golf in that respect. It's a, it's a lifelong sport. You can pick it up as a kid and you can continue to do it till, you know, till you're not, no longer able to walk or pull a bow back. Um, so there's not, there's no age limit. And, and I really think that's what makes it such a special thing um, that we can all enjoy. Well, and then just, you know, if you can't pull a bow back, that's not a reason to quit. Get a crossbow. Yeah. You know, and if you can't pull a string, they have cranks for them. Crank it back. You're still shit. You're still archery. Right. You know, I guess, you know, my definition of archery, which I found anybody to prove me wrong yet, is a stick with a string playing another stick. That's archery. Mm -hmm. A crossbow fits that. Longbow, recurve, compounds. Um, you know, if you take just the stick and put a string on it and throw it like a, um, you know, like a spear. That's still archery because you're still flinging that stick. Uh, right. You know, it, it's all in there. And, and that's that's what's nice about it is there's so many variations and, you know, just in equipment and variations in styles. And I know when, when I record uh, some of the videos sometimes, you know, for, you know, in, instructional videos, I'll look at it as like, I need to pay attention to what I'm telling them to do because I'm not even doing it right. You know, you, you look at the video, it's like, oh, that's not right. It's not what I'm telling them to do in the video. I didn't do it, you know, or, or you, sometimes it's nice to be able to do the video. I know when I first started, they didn't really have videos. They had VCRs. You could do a VCR recording, but, you know, there you record it and go back and play it. And, you know, the quality wasn't good. You know, now our cell phones have such good quality videos in them. You can take it, you can stop them, you can slow motion them and, and, and zoom in and, you know, 
look at everything, you know, so you can nail nail down to that little fine little point, you know, which I've had people, you know, look at a video. It's like, you know, a, a fairly well um, seasoned archer. It's like, you know, I'm having a little problem with something. It showed me the video and it's like, I can't really find much, but, you know, you might try this. One little tweak, you know, and, and that's sometimes that's all it takes. And somebody that knows how to look for those and, you know, doing this since instructing since 95. But, you know, I've taught hundreds of people how to shoot. And, and you know, it's always interesting how much you can you can pick up when you're teaching somebody else what to do. And remember, you got to pay attention to yourself. <laughs> do what you tell everybody else yeah. is doing. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, it's it's easy to to tell somebody else how to do it, but yet we still have a hard time doing it ourselves when, you know, when it's when it's our, you know, we're the ones behind the boat. So is <laughs> there's a, a very strong mental aspect of the game as we're all aware. Yeah, we, we've talked that on some previous podcasts, you know, about the mental aspect of uh, uh, archery and, you know, just everybody wants to think about, okay, this is what I did in the past, or if I got to get this to go to torture, you know, in the future, you know, it, it, I got, I got to not miss one. And then you're thinking not miss one and you miss one. And then, then you're all flustered and, you know, you just got to focus on the now the past is past can't change your future hasn't happened yet. And that's the hardest part of this is to focus on now and ignore everything else that's going around you. And it's hard to turn out, you know, turn off our brain from, thinking about other stuff but you know that takes a little bit of practice to work on that and yeah i believe that's the part that that takes the most practice you know and and it's hard to it's hard to practice the mental game uh unless you're actually uh competing or trying to shoot you know a, a score or achieve some sort of a goal um but sometimes we get in our own way and like you said you yeah. know, we're thinking about the shot we just messed up on rather than what do I need to do to hit the next one? Um, and, and that, that takes some time and some maturity as an archer to, to learn that. Uh, and that's the part that I have to really coach my kids on most regularly is, is just staying positive, keeping their head, their thoughts clear and, and not, uh, not worrying about, um, you know, the score, the outcome or where the arrow hits, but just, what are the steps you need to follow in order to make a good shot? And then the, the outcome will work itself out the way it should. Um, so we, I, I say it all the time, especially shooting indoors, you know, we're standing at 20 yards. We're trying to hit a circle. That's an inch and a half in diameter. It's really easy for, for an experienced archer to do that, but we make it harder than it is because our, our brains get to spinning and we think we're thinking about the wrong stuff instead of about what are the basic elements or fundamentals of my shot process that are going to help me be successful. So yeah, the, we, we have to get out of our own way on a regular basis. Yeah. That's kind of a, a common thing, you know, but anybody that's, that's teaching other archers is, you know, we, we find that we we're in our own way more than we get out of our way and let things happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what is what is the biggest struggle you've had in in archery so far? The biggest struggle? Um, well, I, I mean, I think that um, I would say not being too hard on yourself is 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 good advice. I mean, we all we all expect to do well. Um, we we want to. We, maybe we set goals that are a, um, a little lofty uh, or we have expectations of ourselves that are um, unrealistic or maybe we are we're just um, super critical of the things that we are doing that aren't going the way they should uh, and we get hung up on that. This can kind of back to the mental aspect of it. But so rather than focusing on all the things that we're doing right, we start to focus on the things that we're we're doing incorrectly or where we've messed up. Um, but the bottom line is, it's archery, and we all we all miss. You know, we're we're not perfect. We're gonna miss from time to time. Archery happens, right? Um, 
and so you can't expect every arrow is going to hit where you want it to land. Um, but focus on the things that are, that you're doing right. Focus on the things that, um, are getting the results that you're looking for and then stay positive in that mindset. So, so my biggest struggle has in the past has just been too, too critical of my own mistakes, um, and leaving a tournament and, and dwelling on the things that I did wrong instead of, focusing on the things that I did correctly. Uh, and that's, that's something I still have to remind myself of to this day. Um, you know, we, we go to a tournament and, and we shoot, say a 3D tournament, we shoot 40 arrows and it may be two, two shots in that whole weekend that kept you from achieving your goal out of the 40 arrows. And so it's those two, those two mistakes that we want to look back on and go, well, if I hadn't done this and if I hadn't done that, you know, I would have done this. Well, the reality is you, you made a couple mistakes, but you also did, you had 38 other shots that you did extremely well. And so, you, you know, <laughs> focus on yeah. those, focus on those 38 good shots and how I'm going to do that the next time and, and, and put those other, the bad things behind you. So um, that's, that's been one of my biggest challenges, I would say. Yeah. That, that's the same for all of us. You know, you, you don't want to miss and then you miss and then you start thinking about it and then you miss again and then you miss again and it, it's all shot. And, and sometimes right. I think it's almost better if you don't even know what your score is. Yeah. Oh, you know, absolutely. You, you, yeah. you shoot them and you know, your, your feedback is good shot or you miss, you hit the target or you miss target. Yeah. And yeah, you know, you the, hit it and, and then just go for, go with, you know, whatever you do. Yeah. It's certainly a big downfall if you start to, to keep track of your score, whether you're keeping track of it in your head or you're actually having to be, you're the one that's writing the scores down on paper. It's hard to block that out, particularly if you are, you know, uh, pursuing some sort of a new personal best or you've got a, a goal in mind that you're trying to achieve. All that stuff becomes a distraction from what you're actually trying to accomplish. And that's just making good shots. Um, and if you can, can center on that and, and just put all this other stuff out of your mind, you, you have a much better chance of, of achieving your goal. Um, if you're not keeping track of that stuff as it's happening. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah. If you're taking score, you know, just write down each person's score and then don't pay attention you know, you, you put it down and, and then, go on don't worry about it don't start yeah. doing totals up until the end then you can start adding it up you mm -hmm. know like kenny rogers and the gambler you know <laughs> you, no, no reason to count count your chips until the dealing's done you know and, and that's the same thing don't count your score until you're done because you can't change it all you can do is focus on the new stuff yeah that's really hard to learn um and and it takes it takes a, some really strong mental focus to, to block that type of stuff out. Um, you know, and there's other, there's other things that can distract you too, you know, whether it's the, the background noise going on, you know, the people sitting behind you that are talking a little bit too loud or, um, you know, just, just whatever it might be, the stuff that, um, that takes your focus off of your shot process is what's going to be inevitably, inevitably that's what's going to hold you back if you can't, uh, figure out a way to, to block that stuff out. Well, I, I know people I've talked to that, um, like I said, they, they encourage your kids to make all kinds of racket, you know, just play, have fun, you know, just don't run into them or run in front of the line, but back behind them making all kinds of noise, you know, they, they just don't, don't care how much they're doing because that helps them tune out all the other aspect, you know, the aspect of, you know, there's other noise on there. And of course, you're always going to hear stuff like when you hear your name, that's always going to jar you a little bit. Yeah, you know, if you hear hear something in there, your mind's going to be lit, but it allows you to help tune it out where you don't really think about all the all the stuff that's going on. You can kind of help focus focus on it. And absolutely, put our guy hearing on where we tune everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's usually your wife's voice that you pick out of the crowd. You know you. <laughs> You can uh, you can block the other stuff out, but if you hear your wife back there whispering, you know you'll you'll be able to pick her out above everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, 
and then that gets distracting. But you know, that's 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 the way it goes. We just have to, you know, go with the flow and do what we need to do to have fun. And you know, when it starts becoming work, that's when it's start being no fun. You know, so that absolutely, yeah. I mean, this it's it's a pastime for me. I mean, uh, I work a full time job. Um, you know, so whenever I I'm going to a tournament. You know, I'm taking vacation or taking time off work to to attend these tournaments. So it's it's something I'm doing because I'm truly passionate and I love going and competing and 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 being at the tournament. Um, and when it starts becoming like work to me, you know, it won't be nearly as much fun. So I I think that's important. You you got to keep that outlook on. Yeah. So what has been um, you know back on the hunting? What has been your most memorable hunt? Wow. I've, I've been on some really great hunts, um, you know, and, and I, I believe you can make great memories uh, even if you're, you don't have a successful hunt or you can define a successful hunt by the memories that you make rather than, you know, the animal that you harvested. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, myself and, and Nathan Brooks, good friend of mine, uh, we went to Colorado to hunt uh, pronghorn antelope for the first time. It was my first time. It wasn't his. Um, but we went out there um, to, to southwestern Colorado and, and hunted uh, antelope with our bows, spot and stalk on public land. And uh, we spent about eight days out there chasing antelope all over the prairie uh, and uh, backcountry camped right off the, the side of the And we just had a, a phenomenal time. Uh, we didn't see a lot of antelope, but we saw enough that uh, we, we were able to hunt you know, every single day and, and put a stock on, on antelope and get within bow range every day. Um, and I didn't, I didn't bring an antelope home that from that trip. Um, he was able to, to tag one, I think on our fifth day. Um, and we just, we had a great time and, and I got to experience something new. So that was certainly a, a very memorable hunt just because it was so much to learn. It's kind of like you said with archery, you know, you're always learning, but it was a new experience. It was a new, uh, a new animal that I had never hunted before and in and, and an area I'd never been to. So um, just truly, truly enjoyed that entire trip from start to finish and had some great fellowship with Nathan while we were out there. Um, so I'll, I've always, I'll, I'll cherish that one for a very long time. We're, we're trying to plan a trip to go back uh, maybe this year, maybe not, but um, I want to get back out there and see if I can't redeem myself this, this, the next <laughs> Yeah, go out there again. You, you had your, your experience of uh, doing the hunt, not not killing one. Now you want to go out and actually bring home some meat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then, you know, over the years, just a lot of deer hunting and turkey hunting here in Kentucky with my family. Um, my dad, he, he and I, you know, we've always um, been really close and we spent a lot of time hunting together. And that's something that we look forward to every fall. And, um, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's not able to hunt as much as he used to, but we still, we still make it a point to, to spend some time in the woods every, every year. And, um, you know, this past season, um, uh, I was able to, to sit with my dad and my youngest son and both of them kill a buck on the same morning, uh, with all three of us together. Um, and that was, that was a really, uh, great day. And, um, you know, that's, that's what hunt, deer hunting is all about. I think is that time in the field with your family and, you know, we, we love to eat deer meat and, and, you know, we try to, to put, you know, three or four in the freezer every year, but, um, it's, it's those, that, that time in the field with your family and your friends that, that I think is what, uh, what truly makes it what it is, the experience that we all enjoy. Yeah, that time that time with your with your kids um, in the field is always um, a, a nice time when you can get out there and spend some time together. And yeah, and you know, my my dad from the time I was eleven, that's about the time I started deer hunting. Uh, he always put put me first. You know, he would take me out and uh, and and make sure that that uh, I had the opportunity to to harvest the deer. Uh, even if it meant that he didn't get a chance to or didn't didn't tag one himself. And so uh, I really appreciated that. And, and the older I get and now that I've got kids that are starting to hunt as well, um, you know, I can see that same progression and maturity in myself as a deer hunter where, 
it means more to me to watch my son, you know, get his first buck than it does it, for me to, you know, get a trophy animal to hang on the wall. Yeah, I, I know I did when my my oldest was going out there hunting. I I put him in the the primo tree stand and you know, and then when I'm sitting here, when he's not there, I'm sitting in the same stand and I'm watching deer walk underneath this tree stand. <laughs> you know, yeah. when he couldn't be there, it's like, oh man, he needed to be in the tree stand. And yeah, so you know, that's you know, you just go out there and do that and you know, let let them do them. I've had I've had time when uh one time was it was raining, it was supposed to quit raining, it didn't quit raining, so we decided, okay, we're gonna walk out. And we're walking out and here, here's this deer downhill from us. So I, I told him, I said, okay, stand behind me, get ready. Because the deer's going to be looking at me, not seeing him. And it's like, okay. And then once you're ready, then kind of just slide out, you know, past me here. And then, yeah, but it didn't stay long enough for him to do that. But, you know, hey, it was, I was blocking for him. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I was just standing there letting him get a shot at it. And I never had a thought of trying to shoot it. You know, it's like, okay, here. Here's your chance. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, um, just like with archery, as a new hunter, there's so much to learn and you make a lot of mistakes. Um, and, you know, when I take my kids out and, and they're trying to get in a position to, to get a shot of the deer or they're waiting for the deer to turn or to take a step um, or, you know, they move when they shouldn't and the deer sees them. You know, I see, I, I can, I can remember when I was their age and I was making those mistakes and I was like, ah, you know, another missed opportunity. I got so close, but I wasn't able to, to, to seal the deal. Um, it's really fun to see them experience that and then yeah. have some success and start to, to realize, okay, you know, they're, they're learning something every time we go out. Uh, and that's really fun to, to be a part of that and, and, you know, keep them interested in that. Yeah, that's always always a good part of it is when you go out with other guys to, you know, kids or you know, wives, girlfriends, brothers, sisters. You know, it's just being out in the field is the is the fun part. Absolutely. So, what's been your most difficult hunt that you've been on? Most difficult. Um, well, you know, honestly, I haven't done a lot of hunting. Um, well, I, I, I've got the perfect answer. Thinking about that now that uh, I've had a chance to give it some thought. Um, so here in Kentucky, we've got a pretty good elk herd. Um, so date back to the late 90s, they started introducing elk into the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And so for about the last 15 years, We've had a lottery drawing uh, for uh, elk hunting permits here in the state of Kentucky. And so um, I've applied for that drawing every single year that we've had the option to do that. Uh, and I only, I've only been drawn one time and I drew a tag in 2014 uh, for an archery cow tag. And, um, and so unlike the part of the state where I live, Eastern Kentucky is all in the Appalachian Mountains. And so it's extremely rugged. It's a coal, coal country. So there's been a lot of mountaintop removal and coal mining activities in that part of the state. Um, and a lot of that, um, that coal mining land has been reclaimed and turned back over into wildlife management areas for public hunting and, and, and stuff like that. And so those elk have really thrived in that part of the state. But it's, it's difficult country to, to navigate. Uh, access to, to areas is, can be really difficult, but uh, I drew a tag in 2014 for uh, a cow and, uh, and did a lot of internet research and tried to figure out where the best areas were to go. Uh, did a couple scouting trips before the season opened. Uh, and then I was, I was fortunate enough that year on November the 1st to, to get a shot and, and tag a mature cow um, there on public land and a do it, do it yourself uh, style hunt on public land. So uh Extremely challenging from from a lot of different perspectives. I've never hunted elk before, um, and I wasn't familiar with that part of the state, so I had to do a lot of you know homework and and spend some time you know learning my way around and figuring out where the elk were, um, and then you know make several trips back there to to um, you know to have a successful hunt. So that was it was very challenging physically and and just just from the amount of time that I invested, um, you know. 
most of your shots on on hunting deer out of a tree stand you're looking at you know 20 yards and less and you're shooting you're shooting from a fixed position where i knew in that situation i had to be prepared to make longer shots i was going to be on the ground and so uh, i really practiced and put a lot of work into it that year to be ready for that hunt not just physically but also to make sure i could i could hit what i was aiming at out to to 70 yards if if that's what it was going to take uh, fortunately the shot that I got on the, on the, on the cow was only 30 yards. So it was a fairly easy shot and, uh, you know, uh, was able to bring, bring one home. Yeah. That sounds like a real rewarding after all the effort you put into to, to do it. And it, it's not just like go out and shoot, and get something in. Yeah. And, and there's been a lot of people go out and, and, and not be successful in that hunt. Uh, but I knew it was going to be a very uh, limited opportunity uh, to draw another tag. Um, and so I was trying to make the most of the opportunity that I had. And, and like I like I had uh, had assumed, I haven't drawn a tag since then. I continue to apply every year since then. It's gone on 10 years now um, and I still haven't drawn another tag, but we'll keep trying. Maybe we'll get another opportunity to go back. Yeah, that, that'd be nice. You know, once the herd starts getting a little bit bigger and, you know, then they'll have more and more tags available. But so how how has the elk population uh, been doing? Has it been getting bigger? I, or? You know, I haven't really looked at it much lately, um, but back at that time, it was somewhere around 14,000 animals. So uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good herd. Um, and I don't remember how many they introduced initially. I think it was in the uh, somewhere in the thousand range or fifteen hundred, um, but I think the population has declined a little bit over the last ten years or so uh, because they've certainly cut back on the number of tags that they've drawn or, or each year. And so, you know, basically, um, you know, they make a determination each year how many tags they're going to uh, make available, uh, and so it, it fluctuates based on the population data at that time. I think we're still on the upside of 10,000 uh, animals or more, but uh, things things do, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, environmental factors that, that play into that. Right. Like, you're the next. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of things that affect, you know, the size of the herds, whether it be elk or moose or deer or, or any any animal. You know, yeah. you know, part of it is, you know, the habitat they have as well as the available food and the available natural predators and right. some of those big animals were the only natural predator for them, you know, other than, you know, getting old. Right. So what, um, what, what's, what's your plans in the future, you know, in your archery uh, journey? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm 46. I'll be 47 later this year. And, um, you know, it, at the age of 50, you know, I'll be able to move into the, the senior classes uh, and the national level competitions. And so, you know, I plan to continue to travel and compete uh, as long as um, I'm able to financially and, and, and being able to balance that with my, with my career. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, I'm still able to do this for another, you know, five or 10 years. Uh, as long as my health holds up and, and, uh, you know, we, we don't get distracted with other stuff, but recognizing I've got, um, I've got young kids and they're going to be in high school before too long. And, and their, their schedules are going to change and become more demanding. So we'll probably yeah. have to take it next just to see uh, how much time we have available and, and what other things we've got going on in our life at the time. Um, I, you know, I've been real fortunate over the last several years to, to travel as much as we have and, Honestly, you know, I, I feel like I have achieved most all the, the goals that I've set for myself, but there's still a lot more that could be done. Um, so, you know, I'm just trying to do do what I can while I while my health is still intact and, and my body will allow it to happen. So one one thing I've noticed here recently is that I'm starting to lose some of my uh, my up close vision. So I might be getting a pair of reading glasses before too long, but uh, hopefully. <laughs> If that's the worst thing that happens, I guess I'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, it's as you start getting older, you start having a problem with the eyes, and and you know I'm 68, so uh, those long range shots, 
it ain't happening for me because I can't see good enough, you know, to see the pins and the target. And, you know, so yeah. I just don't, you know, the, the 80, 100 yard shots, unless it's on a big animal, it's like, I'm not going to see them well enough to, to be able to shoot them. So I keep my shots, you know, with the range that, you know, I can shoot out that far. It's just, it's hard to see the target. And, yeah. you know, as you get older, you start getting them with cataracts forming. And, you know, and the problem I have is I look down at my fiber optic pins and I don't see solid, like the red pins, not red. It looks like a red donut. It has a black dot in the middle of it. You know, <laughs> so so things are getting a little weird. It's blurry. And then uh, being right eye dominant, my left eye is the clear eye, not my right one. So my my mind picks up the wrong set of pins because I see two sets of pins when I look down there. And over the years, my mind has developed, ignore the dim set of pins. And now the right one is the dim one. So my mind ignores the correct pins. And so I, I have to kind of adjust for that. And uh, when I'm out hunting, though, it's pretty nice because I, I wear a, a sweat sweatshirt with a hood on it, hooded sweatshirt, and with a baseball cap. And as I turn my head, the, the hood blocks my left eye. Problem solved. <laughs> Summertime? <laughs> Yeah, it's not going to happen that way. <laughs> I'm going to have to, you know, do the blinking thing and and cover it up or something to make sure I pick the right set of pins. And so we all run into challenges. Like yeah, the, yeah, that's the way it goes. You just you might have to change your approach you know, when when that type of stuff happens, you know. And uh, <clears throat> it's it's something that we'll be able to do our you know our entire life, but uh, you know the 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 level at which we can do it is is the part that becomes more difficult over time and um you know i i feel like i'm fortunate enough at this point i'm still i i'm at a point where i i feel like i'm still getting better you know as an archer and, and as a competitor and i hope that trend continues for for his, you know the foreseeable future um but inevitably you know it's going to happen at some point where things are going to start to degrade and and uh you know, I'm hopeful that I've got uh, another good five or 10 years in me before that happens. Well, you should, you know, you're, you're not even 50 yet. So you got at least a good 10 years, at least, yeah. <laughs> if not 20. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, I compete against a, a lot of guys who are a whole lot younger than me. And um, I've been fortunate to to meet some really amazing archers and, and compete with them on a national level. And, um, me being 46, almost 47, I think a lot of those guys look to me and, and it gives them hope, you know, that they're, they're going to be able to continue to compete at a high level, you know, into their mid to late forties. Um, although they're not there yet, they, they can see that it's possible. And I, and that same thing for me, I, I look at the senior pro division and see the talent that's in, in that, uh, group of archers. Um, you know, obviously they've got a lot of experience but they're right. extremely talented and it gives me hope, you know, that, that into my mid to late fifties, I'll have a chance to continue to compete at a high level as well. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. That that's, that's always nice when, when you can see, um, you know, what others are doing and it, it's kind of inspirational. You know, you see somebody that's, that's doing what you want to be doing and it's like, okay, they can do that. What are they doing? How are they doing it? I just imitate them and now I can get better. And uh, I've had that in, in different sports I've been in, you know, where it, it's somebody that's just, you know, you're here and their level is way up higher. And, and it seems like you always perform better when you're around them because that, that gives you something to strive for. It's kind of, they, they kind of pull you up, you know, it's better being when you're at the top, everybody's trying to pull you down and, it's one of those, you know, you do, you don't want to be on the top because they're trying to pull you down and you know, trying to get back up. And you know, it's just all kind of, uh, you know, part of its mental attitude, like we talked about earlier. You know, do, do you focus on the fact that, you know, you're beating them and, you know, they're not close to you and eventually they're going to be beating you? Or do you focus on, okay, they're doing this. I can do this. I need to follow my process. I have a process set up. You know, when I do it, I go through the same process. You know, I have my bow sitting in the little loop that holds the bottom limb. I wasn't discovered those hunting. You know, and I get, I don't see how I could shoot without them because you can rest that bottom limb in that loop. And, and now it's on my my rig. So when I'm shooting, I start off with it in there and I come up to the whole the whole process through. It's the same thing every time. And 
you know, when you do it, don't do it for a, a little while, then you get back and it's like, okay, something's not feeling right. But, oh, okay. So you think back to your process and, you know, so that's what you get, you got to do just, you know, what is your process and stay with it. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you do tend to, to rise to the level of your competition if you're, if you're letting that motivate you and uh, you're look, you're focusing on the right things. Um, that can also be something that I think a lot of people get challenged with is that they start to get distracted by how well their competition is shooting rather than focusing on what they need to do. Kind of back to your point. Um, I've, I've had it happen both ways, you know, where you're, you're shooting with somebody that's really pushing you and it's, it's keeping you on your toes and it's got you, you know, hyper-focused because you know, you've got to be at your best to, 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 compete or to keep up with that individual. Um, but I've also let it affect me from the standpoint that that person might be shooting so well that it feels like there's no way I can compete with them on that particular day. And I let that distract me. Um, when, what I really need to be focused on is what do I need to do in order to, to shoot my bow and do what I already know how to do and, and not worry about somebody else's score or performance, but just, just what did I come here to do today and, and focus on that? So, yeah, it's um, it can be a double edged sword, but I, right. I agree with your statement that, uh, you know, you surround yourself with with good, good competitors and, and you will find yourself, you know, um, much closer to them than you would if you're you're around people that, um, you know, just aren't at your level. You know, so it helps to have somebody around that's pushing you. We're really lucky here in, in Kentucky, where I'm located, within a an hour drive uh, of where I live. You know, there's there's about eight or ten uh, pro archers in this area that all shoot 3D, and and we get together on the weekends and and compete and and have a good time and and you know just really push each other to get better. And then when we go to the tournaments, you know, we we've been we've been practicing and competing against those same individuals in our, in our home area. And so you, you get comfortable, you know, around those people and, and, but it's also, it's, you know, you're kind of sharpening each other's skills because you're going out there and, and you're, you're laughing and cutting up, but you're also pretty serious about this to the point that, um, you know, you want to be, you want to be the top guy in the group uh, every time you go out, but, um, you know, you're going to have to be on your best in order to achieve that. So it's, it's really good to have, um, you know, that type of a network of, of professional archers in the area that, that we're all trying to, to push each other to, to new levels. Yeah, I know when I was doing a lot of 3D shooting with a buddy of mine when he was still alive, we, uh, we'd go out there and, and we'd shoot and it didn't matter where we could be last and next to last as far as score. We didn't care. The only we cared about was, did I beat your score? Or did you beat mine? Who gets to give it? Who has to take it on the way home? You know, next yeah. week it, it changed. You know, each week it seemed like it was it was different. You know, with you know one person wasn't always on top, the other person wasn't always on the bottom, and you know sometimes you know they'd go first and they'd shoot, and it's like okay, it, it wasn't as far as we thought it was, or it's further, and you know then we'd adjust, and next time we shoot first, and you know we we just kind of hey just pushing each other to you know, make each other better and, and, you know, just like who got the top score that day. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> who gets to buy ice cream, right. For the other one. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of about it. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't care, you know, we didn't really care about all the trophy stuff, you know, the way a lot of the three D's were um, then was uh, if you had like 30 people, you have a group, the top 10, in one group, the middle 10 is in the next group, and the bottom 10 in another group. So they give out a first, second, third for each group. So you got your, your beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So you're giving out lots of trophies. And you know, the bad part is when you're your number 10, you got nothing. Number 11, you got a trophy. Yeah. You, you know, it's well, okay. I, I can see why they do that. It gives the beginners and something to shoot for. Um you know, and then those in the middle, because like, each person something to shoot for. But you know, it's I never worried about the trophies. I got a few of them. I I didn't really care. Uh, I got yeah. trophies in other sports I've done, and and you know, it's like okay, 
to have fun. Actually, I preferred plaques, you know, like like the one we had, you know, like a plaque in Nebraska and everyone would do it in Nebraska. Then when you win one, there'd just be a plaque to put on there because what are you going to do with a whole bunch of trophies? Right. <clears throat> you know, you have a big old display case of them. I know my uh, my niece, she did a baton and she had boxes and boxes of trophies and what are you going to do with them all? You know, it's like, you know, that, that's why, you know, some of them actually, some of the rest, they had the, the ribbons with the little medals on them. Those are nice because we can hang a lot of those together. But yeah, it's just, all, it's all fun. <laughs> so what, um, what do you have for parting thoughts before we uh, end this session? Well, um, I would first just say, really, I do appreciate you inviting me to be on the podcast. Um, love to come back anytime that you want to talk more. Um, you know, there's, uh, I, I, like you, I do enjoy helping people get started in archery. Um, I, I'm very fortunate to have um, made a lot of connections through archery and, and connected with a lot of folks all over the world um, through Facebook and in social media, that's been pretty amazing. Um, I started a YouTube channel this year to, to try to put out some information because um, I think for um, the someone who's new to archery, that seems to be the, the place a lot of people go to for their, their first impressions or, or getting information is YouTube. Um, and there's a lot of great information out there, but there's a lot of bad information too. So right. you know, one of the I'm, I'm passionate about is is promoting um, promoting the sport, but also putting content together that will help somebody become a better archer and bow hunter. And so I'm I'm trying to do more and more of that now uh, with my YouTube channel and and creating some content uh, for that purpose. Um, but then uh, just just growing the archery community and and trying to be an advocate for the sport. That's that's what I'm really, really uh, find rewarding these days. And I have a lot of people reach out to me through Facebook and, and um, Messenger and just asking questions. And, and I really welcome that. It, it, you know, it's, it's always great to help somebody if I can. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a responsibility that we all have if, if we, we love something as much as we do is to make sure that we're passing it on to someone else. You know, right. if you can't your kids, or you can't pass it on to your family members, you know, try to pass it on to somebody in some form or fashion, um, because it, it's something, it truly is a, a, a tradition, you know, that we can pass on from generation to generation. And I would just encourage everybody to, to, to contribute in that, in that way. Another thing that I would, would encourage people to do is volunteer their time with their local club or some sort of an archery related function. You know, whether you're uh, coaching at your local school or you are um, working at your local club to, to, to host events or set up 3D tournaments or, you know, just mow the grass and, and clean up the, the old cardboard, you know, do something at, a, at your local club to, to give back um, because clubs are dying, you know, they there are not as many clubs available as there used to be. And the few that are out there uh, are always struggling to get volunteers to, to help with the things that they need to do to, to, to continue to support the, the sport of archery. So, you know, volunteer some time, go out and, and lend a hand. Um, and, and in that, in that way, you, you're giving back to the sport that we all love. And that's going to ensure that it's going to be there for our kids and their kids for many years to come. What's the name of your YouTube channel? So it's Ryan Jeffries Outdoors, or I'm sorry, Ryan Jeffries Archery is my YouTube channel. Um, and then on Facebook, um, Ryan Jeffries Archery and Outdoors is my uh, my archery page. And so uh, really try to utilize those two platforms to, to just what I, discussed right there just promote archery and and put information out that that can be helpful to archers of, at any level yeah i'll leave links in the description for those um in uh, uh for the uh, podcast and uh youtube channel so that you can make an easier connection to you 
So I'd like to thank you for being on the on the show. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. And, yeah. And I'm sure we'll be talking later. And, um, you know, like I said, you have your Facebook group. The Arch Talk 101 Facebook group is is set up basically the same way. If you have any questions, we're there to at, you know answer your questions. And like I say, the only dumb question is the one you didn't ask. Um, so ask the question. Uh, we don't allow links in there except to archery events. Um, so you don't have to worry about being sold to. It's all just to help the archers. And that's why I set up the podcast as well as the YouTube channel or uh, the Facebook um, group as well. So uh, once again, thanks for being on the show. My name is Roy Canterbury and I host today on Arch Talk 101 podcast. Thanks, Roy. Talk to yeah. you soon. Yeah.